0: As we continue this morning in our study of the book of Matthew, let's turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. And this morning we want to look at this portion of Scripture from verses 23 to 32 concerning Christ's authority. Matthew... Chapter 21. Over the uh, past few years, we've been seeing an array of authorities on a vast range of subjects. Been military authorities that tell us about war strategy, weapons authorities that tell us about uh, much-aligned... maligned WMDs, or weapons of mass destruction. Presidential authorities give insights on job performance, and uh, while the Middle East authorities attempt to unravel complicated relationships in that region of the world, no doubt we hear additional authorities on the status of various former Soviet countries as Russia's leaders continue, leader continues his activities in recent days. Each one of these authorities claims to be an expert in a particular subject and able to predict decisions and movements and actions and even as a pre- presidential authority would not necessarily be consulted for earthquake predictions nor a college football authority polled on weapons of mass destruction. Each authority has particular areas of expertise, and yet they're limited in their knowledge in other realms. Now, the word authority is not only used for one who is an expert in a given subject, but also one who has a right to exercise power, or to rule, or has leadership over a particular people. Parents exercise authority over their children, Principals and superintendents exercise authority over their schools. Elected officials exercise authority in the realm of governance and over their constituents. But who has the authority over the soul? Who has the authority over the soul? Who has the right to rule the souls of men? And for that matter, who is the ultimate authority on the soul? While members of the Jewish Sanhedrin exercised authority over religious and, to some degree, political lives of those in Israel, one area they did not have authority over was the soul. They could dictate and regulate worship in Jerusalem, but they could not decide the fate of anyone's soul. They could censure and even put people out of the synagogue. They as happened to the blind man that Jesus healed over in John chapter 9. But they could not do anything to the man's soul. The realm of authority belongs only to one, and that is Jesus Christ. Matthew ten twenty eight says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The call of the gospel is a call to recognize and obey the authority of Christ's rule over the soul. Now men will naturally rebel against His authority. Some would even question His right to rule over us as the gospel calls for our allegiance. Why does He have authority over us? That's really not much different from the question that the religious leaders were asking Jesus. Men haven't really changed over the centuries. There are people today who are still battling this idea of divine control over the soul. It kind of seems to be a normal habit of the heart. And yet, as we will notice in our text this morning, to do so demonstrates a folly of eternal proportions. Proportions. I want you to consider with me the need to respond to Christ's authority as Lord. Let's look at our text this morning. First of all, beginning in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 23. Matthew 21 and verse 23. It says, And when he was come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I in likewise will tell you by the authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it, from heaven or of men? And they reasoned themselves uh, with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did ye not then believe him? But if ye shall say of men, we fear the people. For all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, we cannot tell. And he said unto them, neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. And afterward he repented and, went. and he came to the second and said likewise, and he answered and said, I go, sir, and he went not. Whither of them twain did the will of his father? They say unto him the first, And Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of the righteousness, and ye believed him not, but the publicans and the harlots, they believed him. And ye, when ye have had seen it, repented not afterward that ye might believe him. So we have here, this is our text in the questioning of Christ's authority this morning. Notice, first of all, the challenging of Christ's authority. Challenging Christ's authority. We probably think it extremely presumptuous that anyone would challenge the authority of Jesus Christ, and yet, as we look at our text here, we find that that Such uh, that that kind of presumption came quite naturally to these religious leaders. It was rooted in self-righteousness. Kind of had a veneer of reverence, but at the heart, they had a very low view of God due to an exalted view of self. And any time a person elevates their views and desires above the evidence of the divine truth, divine authority will be instantly challenged. Jesus was teaching in one of the porches that surrounded the temple area in Jerusalem. In the middle of his teachings, members of the Jewish Sanhedrin interrupted him with questions about his authority. And what appeared to be the height of rudeness on their part would have been considered within their rights as the chief authority in Israel. Now the Sanhedrin comprised three groups of people. First, you had the chief priest, with the high priest as a president, with primarily members of the Sadducees, having gained position through hereditary lines. Secondly, you had the scribes, which were the keepers of hidden knowledge, the great interpreters of the Scripture. It was knowledge alone that gave them their power as the scribes. Scribes composed the Pharisaic, party of the Sanhedrin. The third group was the elders who differed from the other two in that their position arose as heads of the most influential lay families in Israel. Wealth and influence rather than knowledge or priestly office secured their place. The religious and economic elites of Israel ruled over the temporal existence by serving as a combination of judicial, legislative, and executive branches of government. And we can imagine that their appearance came with a swagger as they approached Jesus Christ, and they began to question His authority. By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? And the implication, of course, was they had not given Him an authority to... To speak, and therefore he was out of line, and he needed to just move along. Now, as we look at the challenge of Christ's authority here, notice assessing Jesus' authority. What spurred the questions regarding Jesus Christ's authority? Well, it's found in the little phrase doest these things. By what authority are you doing these things? Now, what kind of things did they have in mind? Well, Matthew is narrating kind of the last week or what we sometime have know as the passion week as Jesus prepares to go to the cross on Sunday or maybe Monday, he had entered Jerusalem in the triumphal entry. During that time, Jesus Christ was acknowledged and praised as the Messiah. They cried out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. He did nothing to silence the shouting. and The open confessions of him as the promised one, the Redeemer of Israel. Instead, he accepted the confessions of praise, showing that he believed it was true. And when the religious leaders later demanded that Jesus silence the cries of praise, Our Lord claimed to be the focus of biblical revelation. He said, Yea, have ye never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? Now the religious leaders, they knew this quotation was from Psalm 8 and verse 2 and uh, referred to the Lord preparing praise for Himself. In other words, they understood that Jesus was receiving praise as the Lord God. Jesus also exercised authority over the temple. Remember we talked about the driving out of the money changers and the merchandisers who had confused the whole purpose of the temple for worship. Yet the parameters for temple worship said, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. It was his temple where sacrifices and worship were offered to him and petitions were made to to his name. Religious leaders did not miss the inference of Jesus' actions and his explanations. He had accepted worship as a Messiah, He furthering the worship of the Lord as Lord over the temple. Well then, to make matters worse for the religious leaders, Jesus had the nerve to heal a blind man and also some lame in the temple. And while the members of the Sanhedrin carried great authority, none of them had authority to give sight to the blind or strength to the lame. No wonder these fellows were nervous. One who had received worship as the Lord God, who had demonstrated authority as the Lord God, he was among them. And yet they had opposed him from the very start even those unquestionable evidence that stood like giant billboards before their eyes they were blinded by their own selfish ambitions and their lust for power they refused to acknowledge the lord the authority of the lord jesus christ and plenty of people follow their footsteps today thankfully Back when this took place, there were a few that followed their num- number. Nicodemus, you remember, and Joseph of Arimathea, and later Saul of Tarsus, they came to believe Jesus. They saw the evidence of his authority as Lord when regenerating the wind, the wind regenerating wind, of the Spirit blew upon them. And so they followed Christ. Secondly, notice questioning Jesus' authority. With the stinging evidence of Christ's authority as the Lord, burning in their minds, kind of like a sand in a storm, burning the face. The religious leaders had to try and turn the tables on Him. And if they could undermine Him, so they could accuse Him of wrongdoing, then they could evade, evade the evidence of His authority as Lord. So as they did this, by asking a two-part question. By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? Now the first question seeks the nature of his authority, and the second, its source. What kind of authority allows Jesus Christ to be worshipped as the Lord God, and then to act in the place of of God as Lord of the temple? and healer of the infirmed. In light of exercising such authority, how did he get that authority? There's no higher religious authority in Israel outside the Sanhedrin. They certainly didn't give Jesus this kind of authority. What else was left? Even the religious leaders knew that answer, although they did not want to admit it. Jesus would have to say that his authority was divine in nature because it came directly from God. And that's the answer they wanted so they could accuse him of blasphemy. Now it should not have been difficult to guess the authority of Jesus Christ. You remember John the Baptist had already declared the presence of God's kingdom, had declared Jesus Christ to be the awaited Messiah of the kingdom. Jesus had fulfilled the signs of the Messiah, that is, he preached the good news, he healed broken lives, he liberated the demonized, he proclaimed the triumph and judgment of the Lord. Jesus had also healed all manner of disease and physical infirmities. Nothing appeared beyond the pale of his power. He He had even raised the dead. Certainly these nosy members of the Sanhedrin had heard the news that About Lazarus, a man dead for four days being raised from the dead, only a few miles away from them in Bethany. Yet they asked these two questions regarding the nature and source of Christ's authority. But were these religious leaders really interested in knowing the truth? Their idea was to trap Jesus into opening, openly declaring his messiahship, which he did in chapter 26, and his relationship to God the Father as one giving him authority, they were waiting for, ha-ha, we got you. Their motive was for asking these questions had nothing to do for a search of truth. They really weren't interested in the truth. They, were, they looked over enough evidence of Christ's deity and authority to choke a lion. So self-righteous were they that in their minds, though Jesus had done so much good for so many different people, he had to be of the devil's power. And for that one reason, they had not sanctioned him. They had not allowed him to be in control. And that's why they were secretly happy when Herod arrested John the Baptist. They did not control John. They did not control his message. And so it was great that Herod took care of that for them. Self-preservation through self-rule seems to be the mindset with the members of the Sanhedrin. As long as they could control the flow of religious instruction in Israel, they could maintain their seat of power. And they were not really interested in God's authority. They did not want him to interrupt their comfortable lifestyles. Do you know anyone like this? Maybe you're this way. Even when you ask spiritual questions... Someone you know that, like this asks a spiritual question. They really don't want to know the truth. They really just kind of want to say, aha. I've had talks with people like this who want, want to be courteous, but they really don't want to be, they're not interested in what the Bible says. Why? Why is this? They want to believe that they are the masters of their own soul. They are little lords, they fancy themselves. And they spurn the authority of Jesus Christ as Lord or else, uh, so they think, they think, I'm going to rule my own life. I'm making the decisions for my life. Yet the day will come when even those will bow before the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Judge. So we come thirdly to avoiding Jesus' authority. Our Lord's response to these religious leaders came in the form of a little bargain. He said, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I in likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. Seemed fair. All they had to do was answer his question and he would answer their question. In reality, he did answer their question by his question. The baptism of John, whence was it, from heaven or of men? Now, they faced a quandary here. Matthew tells us the story, how they reasoned, or they were carefully discussing the angles of this question among themselves. It says, and they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did ye not believe him? But if we shall say, of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. Now consider the wisdom of Jesus' question. The baptism of John encompassed not only the act of baptism of repentance, but also the whole message and ministry of John. For 400 years, no prophets had been seen in Israel. Then came John the Baptist, and as serious as Elijah was, John called the people of Israel to repentance. They came. Uh, then came John the Baptist, and he called them to a specific action in preparation for the Messiah. He said back in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The messianic kingdom, that which Israel had anticipated and prayed for over the centuries, it was here. But they must be prepared. Judgment was just around the bend. And so it goes on to say in Matthew chapter 3, if you remember, Now also the axe is laid into the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth forth not fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So John took up the prophetic mantle that Isaiah and Malachi had foretold, prepared the way for the Lord. John's whole focus was upon Christ the Messiah. Clearly pointed to Jesus of Nazareth. Next day he saw Jesus coming and said, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He said, This is he whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me for he was before me. John was testifying of the descent of the Holy Spirit upon Christ because he was the Messiah. And so to accept the baptism of John as from heaven meant it was from God. And that would mean they would have to accept the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Therefore he came from God. His authority was from God. So I'm sure, very sheepishly, uh, they responded to Jesus' question. They kind of admitted ignorance. They even constituted brain trust and theology resource of Israel Could, could could, could not come up with any real good answer. Of course, they knew the answer. And they answered him and said, we cannot tell. What they really meant was, was they refused to admit the plain truth. They felt spurned because Jesus had refused to bend their religious to their religious authority. Is, not, is this not one of the great battles we face in evangelism and mission work as well? We want to make Jesus known to people so they will bow their heart and their knee to the Lord And at issue, as we analyze the way people respond, it's a matter of authority, is it not? Why should anyone believe the gospel of Christ? Why should I die to my rights and my ambitions and my selfishness and my pride and repent of sins and trust Jesus? Why should I forsake other gods, other religions, and self-rule, for the lordship of Jesus Christ. It all boils boils down to authority. Those who believe have recognized the evidence of Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Redeemer of sinners through His death and His resurrection, and they trust Him as their Lord. It's acknowledging His authority as Lord and how that authority exceeds all other authority. Now, how do people come to recognize the authority of Jesus Christ? Well, they must see Christ through the pages of Scripture. And that's one, why one of the most effective tools for our missionaries, especially in some of the non-literate societies they encounter, is to tell them stories of the Bible from Genesis through the Gospels and through that process of let it, uh, letting the narratives of God's Word explain the truth. We have a great advantage in our nation that we can come to church like this this morning and most all of you have a copy of God's Word in your hands. There are many people around the world who don't even have a page. Let me just give you a reminder, it's been a number of months and a while back we had a missionary come in here and challenge us to pray for the unreached people groups Of the world. I wonder, are we still praying for them? There are people around this world, hundreds of millions of people, that have no Bible in their language. They have no one to give them the stories of the Bible, the the teachings of the Scripture. And that's why it's so important to continue to pray that God's Word will be translated and given to the unreached people groups of the world. A young man was asked about his belief in God, and he said that he was a Muslim. Oh, really? He was asked. Why are you a Muslim? He said, that's the way I was raised, and that's why I was taught, so I'm a Muslim. He was asked what he believed about Jesus Christ. And he said he thought that Jesus was a prophet, but not the greatest prophet. That honor belonged to Muhammad. He was asked whether or not he had read the Bible and what the Bible said about Jesus Christ. He said, what he knew about Jesus came from the Koran. Well, he was told, that's quite a problem. If I want to know about Muhammad, I read the Koran. But if I want to know about Jesus Christ, I read the New Testament. You're getting your understanding from the wrong authority, this young man was told. The young man was given a Bible and challenged to read for himself about Jesus Christ. He needed to see, see the real evidence for himself, the kind of evidence that will undo the false authority that he had submitted to in Islam. Even without a Christian looking over his, his, his shoulder, the authority of the Holy Scripture goes to work. And by God's grace, this young man will see the authority of Jesus Christ over Muhammad, and especially over his own soul. I wonder this morning, have you bowed your heart to the authority of Christ over you? So we've seen challenging Christ's authority. Secondly, notice with me, heeding Christ's authority. Heeding Christ's authority. After admitting their ignorance of John's authority, Jesus told them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. If they could not admit the divine authority in John's message and ministry, they surely would not accept the fact that Jesus Christ was the Messiah from God. And so through, though Jesus' question made the answer plain, he did not give them a straightforward answer to their, their question. Instead, he told them a parable to help the listeners understand what it means to yield to God's authority. Many times just words are not efficient, or, uh, sufficient. Sufficient. And so, sometimes a parable was used. James tells us, faith without works is dead. We are saved by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone. The religious leaders in the Sanhedrin were never short on words and good intentions, but the reality is they spurned the authority of God's word and His Son. But notice what Jesus does. He gives them a parable, and he says, first of all, he talks about recognizing a greater authority. The story he tells would be in a common scene there in Jewish households. But what think ye? He says, analyze this and ponder it for a while, and then understand what I'm trying to get across to you. A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go to work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. And afterward he repented and went. And he went to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether of them twain did the will of his father, they send to him the first. Now, this is a very simple story here. The father had the right to command his sons to go into the vineyard. They had the responsibility to obey None of the religious leaders would have disagreed with that responsibility that they recognized the father's authority and the need for the sons to obey. Any one of them would have judged the second son as a rebel and worthy of punishment. So keep in mind that these men comprised the Supreme Court of Israel. They regularly made judgments on these kinds of things uh, and those who resisted authority. But they could not or would not see how they had spurned God's authority in Christ. And though they could see the implication in the story, they refused to see the evidence of Christ's authority over their lives, commanding them to repent and believe. And so Jesus, again, calls attention to John's message, and John spoke with a divine authority. But who listened? Was it the religious leaders of Israel? Certainly not. So here's the analysis that Jesus Christ concerning the religious leaders. They were like the Son who said, I will, sir, yet He did not go. They were long on talk, but short on obedience. Submission to God's authority in Christ demands more than just words. It's a call to radical transformation through faith and obedience. Reminds me of some people... I know today, long on talk, but short on obedience. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I got saved when I was a kid. Well, are you living for the Lord? Is is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Well, no. I don't really think he has any authority over my life. Long on talk, short on disobedience. But notice then the responding to Christ's authority. The amazing thing is found in Jesus' declaration in verse 31. "Verily I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. The most despised people in Israel, though they first rejected obedience like the first son, they repented and they followed after the Lord. They believed the message and they gave themselves to the Lord. They believed and they followed. Though evidencing lives of rebellion through greed and dishonesty and immorality, they repented of their sin and they believed on the Redeemer. It says here, but publicans and harlots believed on Him. The religious leaders had positioned themselves as being the most spiritual men of Israel, and yet Jesus Christ declares just the opposite. The very ones that the religious leaders would have, would have spurned and have given no chance to be a part of God's kingdom were the ones that Jesus singled out as the kingdom citizens through faith in him. And so, this morning, as we think about this account, this encounter of the religious leaders with Christ and the subject of Christ's authority, the doors of the kingdom were closed to those who will not bow to the authority of Jesus Christ as Lord. Plain and simple, the religious leaders ignored and denied the authority of Christ, and the most despicable in Israel entered into the kingdom while the religious leaders were shut out. These men could talk a good religious talk, but their hearts were never recognizing the authority of Jesus Christ. So the doors of Christ's kingdom are wide open for those who will humble themselves before Him, believe Him as a Redeemer, and submit to him as their Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank-